Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We've already said hello to each other, and I think that's important. We talked about propriety in the church house and how the building's not holy, but what we do here is for a holy purpose, and that's why we don't get we don't have like a clown show here. We don't act like clowns, but we do act happy because we are, and we, we do act welcoming and like brothers and sisters should. There's nothing in the world wrong with that. Did you get a bulletin? If you didn't, they're in the back. Have someone get you one quickly if you haven't got one. It's a beautiful bulletin, Dane, and uh, we're going to talk about what's on it. But uh, thank you so much. And you online, just tap in the appropriate place and you can get a digital copy of all that's going on in here. There's a, a little section about a spirit-filled life. How many of you want one of those? Amen. And oh, how I love Jesus and time to celebrate and a gift from the heart of love. These, these are good, down-to-earth, personable things. Not just personal, but personable. And there is a difference. So I hope that you'll keep up with what's going on around here right now. I have to say a special thank you to all of our givers, regular and special givers. The offering envelopes uh, come in on Sundays and Wednesdays, of course, and then people walk them by, drop them off, they mail them in. Thank you for your faithfulness. Bills are paid. Missionaries are taken care of. Thank you for all of that that you have done so faithfully. You are good. I commend you. We have a special offering envelope. It's got purple writing. Give the gift of God's Word. And we are giving hardback Bibles through beams to third world Christians, many of them first generation Christians, and they will have these for generations to come. And uh, they will thank you in eternity for providing a Bible for new Christians in countries where they can't afford a Bible. $8 puts that Bible, sewn in uh, Bible, I mean a good quality Bible. King James in English, uh, close to King James in other languages where they... Don't speak English, but good Bibles. I want you to send as many as you can. We've gotten a good number of Bibles already paid for. Won't you do your part? Thank you so much. On this snowy, on this beautiful snowy day, stand, stand back and look at that snow and later that rain coming down and say, that's just, that just like God's Word that comes down. It will not return void. It will not return void. Thank God for His Word. This month of February, we've got several emphases. And we think of, of love, of course, with Valentine's Day. And so we're talking about love. We're, we're focusing on God's love and what it ought to be through us toward others as well. Also, it is a time for patriotism. President's Day is coming up, and we celebrate all of the presidents of the United States. And we think back on the day when we used to celebrate Washington's birthday. We... In some places where uh, they would recognize Lincoln's birthday during the month of February, those are special, special days. But the whole month, we want to think about love. We want to think about our country, loving our country. And also, I don't know if you know it, but we also celebrate the remarkable progress that this nation has made in the area of civil rights. Uh, the opportunities are unparalleled today. And we're not a perfect nation, but... Over the course of the last 150 years since emancipation, our nation has sought to right wrongs that were done previously. And uh, neither I nor my people engaged in the wrongdoing. But I want you to know that I want to always do right every day when I get up. I want to treat people right. Amen? 
Amen. That's it. And we have a great nation. You say, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally encouraged by everything that's going down right now. Our nation is resilient because of the hand of God. Do you know that? It's not because of our goodness. But as long as God's people are salt and light, the blessing of God is going to be on us to a certain degree. The reason we haven't been wiped out and joined Sodom and Gomorrah and the rest of them on the ash heap of, 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 of history is because of the goodness of God. Come on, let's give Him praise. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to be speaking scripturally on these themes and applying eternal, unchanging truths in our everyday lives. I still preach that this book I'm holding in my hands, the King James Bible, is the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. If I didn't say that slow enough and plain enough, I'm going to say it again for all of our friends. I believe the King James Bible is the inspired and preserved Word of God for the English-speaking world. And you can trust your Bible to be true in all areas of your life. I make no apology for our stand. And no, we're not looking into other Bibles that come from a corrupt source. We're not going to do that. Absolutely not going to do that. I believe in the God of this book. So wouldn't, wouldn't I want to get the book right? I want, to get, I want to get that right. I believe in the God of this Bible. The God who created everything. Jesus Christ is God the Son. He spoke it all into existence. He is very God. He is God in a body. God made the family the first institution. How many of you believe that? That's a sacred thing. Keep your hand off what God has made sacred. Just live it out by God's grace and for His glory. That family is of His making, of His creating. You and I don't have the right to mess with what God has made. Come on. Amen. So the family is, is the first institution. I believe we ought to have and display and live out a Christian worldview. Not somebody else's, you know, humanistic, socialistic worldview. I believe in a biblical worldview. This church stands for a biblical worldview. If you're tired of your church not taking a stand. Well, come on over. Amen. Amen. I believe the local church is God's institution. Do you? I do. I believe that He established it. That Jesus loved the church and gave Himself for it. And I believe that salvation is only one way throughout all time and all history through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the theme of this book from Genesis to Revelation. Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. In case you weren't clear on some of these things, I'm just trying to be... Clear. I believe the folks are lost until they get saved, so we need to tell them, amen? And I, I believe we need, as Christians, to trust and obey and obey the commandments of the Lord and do what He says. There's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. Soul winning, yes. World missions, yes. Godly living, yes. In the world but not of the world. Come on now. In the world but not of the world. We get our standards and our marching orders from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. So let's do that right now. Let's see what Jesus said. That bulletin's got a good clue as to what he said, but I want us to turn in our New Testament to the book of Matthew. Will you turn there with me, please? The book of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. The 22nd chapter of Matthew's gospel. Thank you so much. All right. 
Matthew chapter 22. And when you found it, look up at me. All right, good. I'm glad. I need to know who's still looking. All right, I hear those pages turning, but they shouldn't turn forever. All right, first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And uh, we are going to share some scripture here. In Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says to Timothy, was always ready to give an answer. Now, you don't give a smart answer to a person that's facing hell. You give a correct answer. You give a right answer. You give a Jesus-honoring answer. So those of you out there that are notching, putting notches on your gun or on your belt, and you're saying, boy, I really gave it to those Jehovah's Witnesses or those Mormons at the door. Did you give them Jesus, though? Did you present Jesus to them? Well, you don't realize what kind of dust they're raising, what kind of damage they're doing to the cause of Christ. Oh, yes, I do. But I also know that they are part of humanity for whom Christ died. When Jesus gave an answer, he had eternity in view. And in Matthew's gospel, the 22nd chapter, some of those spiritual outlaws were giving him fits. Verse 34, But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So they had a little powwow. Then one of them, all right, they send their champion out. One of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting or testing him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Here it is, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, and by extension, he's saying it unto all of us down the quarter of time. Say it with me. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. We could summarize by saying, love God completely. Love God totally. Love God in an undivided way. Love Him completely. This is the first and great commandment. Now notice, He gives them a bonus. Aren't you glad that God does that so often? He's pro promised to provide us all of our needs according to uh, His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, hasn't He? And there's not a person here or out there who can accuse the Lord of not coming to your aid and helping you in your time of need and providing you with those needed things. He always does that. But sometimes He gives us a bonus, doesn't He? He gives us over and above. And we have, because of His marvelous grace, we have, we have wonderful things over and above what we ask or think. All right, and here we have over and above. He is making a case in verse 39. Verse 39. And the second, that is the second commandment, second only to the first, is like unto it. Say it with me. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's their Old Testament. He's saying you can sum it all up very simply by those two. And that's true. When you learn the Ten Commandments, and you should, the Ten Commandments are found in the 20th chapter of Exodus in the Old Testament, also in Deuteronomy. And you can find the commandments throughout Scripture, but they're listed for us. And when you learn them in a form that you can repeat them, because we ought to know the commandments that show us our need for a Savior, that point us to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, you recognize there are four commandments, one, two, three, four, at the very top, and those have to do with our relationship with God. 
And then the next six commandments that are below those four have to do with our relationship with each other. So here it is, your Ten Commandments. Four, loving God. Six, the next six, that is, you know, five through ten, loving each other. Loving God, loving each other. And on that, all the law, everything, all the specifics in the law, all those little statutory laws, all those things they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to conduct their daily lives, everything comes back to this. I need God because without Him I'm nothing. I can't get to God, to God. He came to me. I can't get to heaven without Jesus Christ. He came to me. And just as true as that, look at this. I can't conduct my daily life with you and with each other without God in my life. How many people do you know? How many of us in our lifetime have displayed a total wreck of a life. Totally messed up because we didn't get that truth. Without God, without Jesus Christ, we're not going anywhere. And without God and Jesus Christ in our daily life, our relationships aren't going anywhere. That's it. That's it. Folks, we need the Lord. We absolutely need the Lord. Now those those guys that came to Jesus were trying to mess him up. They're trying to catch him. They were trying to trap him. And what did he do? In love, he told them, guys, you're missing the boat. You think you can do something that's going to please God, but you, you can't. It's impossible. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not going to make it without God. You've got to have God in your life. And not only that, but your home and your business, and your daily uh, things that you do every day are going to be a wreck, a ruin, without God in your life. You need God in your life. That's what this is all about. Love is not just an emotion. Love is not just a feeling. Love has to do with who and what God is all about. God is love. God is love. We love Him because He first loved us. Because of that, we can love each other. But we have to go God's way. We have to do this God's way. We have to let God have His way. Does God have free course in your life? Young person, adults, young adults, just starting out in your own life, are you letting God have His way in every area of your life? I want to speak to senior citizens. You say, well, it's time for me just to prop my feet up and take it easy until the Lord takes me. No, it's not. It's time for us to love God and to love each other. Time for us to go God's way. Whether you are the youngest child or the most senior adult, in the sound of my voice today, we cannot be successful without God having His way in and through our life. I'm going to pray that God's going to speak to our hearts now as we yield to Him. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that You'll help us to apply this message as it ought to be. And we'll thank You and we'll praise You in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Gaithers wrote the song, Loving God, Loving Each Other. And 
the vocal band sang it. And the title and the lyrics do just what this scripture does. They simplify what is a successful or balanced Christian life. The, the very lyrics of that song say it's not complicated. And look at me right now. It's not complicated. And you might say, but preacher, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. I didn't say there isn't a challenge to it. Because as long as we're trying on our own and not letting God have His way, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. But it's not complicated when we realize it's just a matter of our getting out of the way and letting God have every bit of us. Every bit of us. Too often, too often, we take back what we say we've given to God. Too often, we want to make our own choices. And may I just throw in a descriptive term? Our own selfish choices. Our own sinful choices. Our own fleshly choices. Our own logical choices. Have I about covered it? Choices. That's it. We want to do it our way. You want to know why we do it? Well, for two reasons. Because that's what comes natural. We came with that. We came equipped with that. When we came off the assembly line, we were natural people, unsaved people. We had a natural propensity to do things our way, my way. Ask, ask any toddler. It was my toy, my toy. They have that my thing down. They understand that, and they practice it. And the only difference is we've grown a few feet and gained a few pounds, but we're still like a bunch of big kids, aren't we? My way. I want it my way. I want to do it my way because this makes sense. We get educated and we get a few letters, degrees behind our name and now we say, I have a right to do it my way because I'm educated. Or I have a right to do it my way because I'm powerful. Or I'm, I'm big enough. Or I'm well off enough, rich enough, respected enough. And all of those things that I just mentioned and more do not qualify us for doing things our way apart from God. We're told in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I know the Bible says God so loved the world, but here the world doesn't refer to humanity, but refers to the world system. And the world system will cram you in their mold. You have to work this way, this amount of time, with this attitude, and do it this way to get ahead. And that's unfortunate because what's molded right there is not Christian. What's molded there is worldly. So we got some folks who have yielded to the molding of the world system or the suggestions of the devil and his demons or to the... the uh, the lusts, the strong driving desires of our own sinful fleshly nature. And those three together are very destructive because they are the opposite, polar opposite, from God's perfect will for your life and mine. God saved us not just to go to heaven. He saved us so that while we're on the way to heaven, we can help other folks to find the way. That's it. We have to exercise tremendous, tremendous holy determination to simplify as 
Jesus did here, to love God first. We just return the love that He gave us. That is agape love. There are four different terms translated as love in the Bible. One of them is physical, and in marriage it's proper, it's eros, but outside of marriage it is erotic and it is wrong. There is also brotherly love, philos, and uh, when I say I love phileo, philos, like Philadelphia, brotherly love, that's kindness that we do to other human beings. And then there is another word, stereo for the family kind of love, among the family. But then there is God's love, agape. Agape. And agape love is unique in that it does not love because the object of the love is so tremendous and deserving and worthy of love. Quite opposite. Agape love is so tremendous is because the giver of that love is so tremendous. God is love. Agape love isn't because you did something good or kept on doing something good or you, you followed all the rules and you dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Agape love is because God is love and He chooses to place His love on us. I'm glad. How about you? Amen? Amen. You know what? Because... Even though I tried to keep all 101 points last week, I blew it in a few. A few dozen. A few dozen. Love God. Love God. Then love others as ourselves. Do we love God? Do we love others as ourselves? Do we actually manifest it or do we just talk about it? Everybody here, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about good intentions. Good intentions. Boy, that's a... Slippery, 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 slippery descent, isn't it? It sure is. I intended, and every once in a while, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll think, man, I meant to do such and so and I didn't do it. And it's not just because I'm old, because some of you young folks out there do that too. Don't write it down, you'll be sure to forget it. You got to write it down, and then you got to write a note to remind you that you got a note. Got to tie string around your finger to remind you that there's another string tied around your finger so you don't forget. We are forgetful. We're forgetful in vital areas. But we need to start today to love God and to love others as well. That's what the scripture says. So two questions today. Number one, is your love for God undivided? Put it down. Is your love, is my love for God, right, write it down. Is my love for God undivided? Number two, is your love for others unconditional? Is your love for others unconditional? We're going to look at that closely now because this is where the rubber meets the road, folks. This is, this is it. You say, well, how is it that we divide our love so that our love for God is not undivided? There are a lot of people, if you ask them, do you love God? They have this wonderful, wonderful opinion of God. But that's not the same thing. I'm not asking you today, here, across the world as you're viewing, I'm not asking you, do you have a high opinion of God? That's important too. But that's not the question. The question is, do you love God with an undivided love? So, well, how, how does it get divided? First of all, number one, it can get disconnected. 
it can get disconnected. And how is it disconnected? Well, we sing that song, I keep in touch with Jesus, and He keeps touch with me. I'm talking about prayer. And in this case, prayerlessness. We are commanded in Scripture to pray without what? Ceasing. Without stopping. Even the boys and girls in our 5 o'clock hour can tell you what pray without ceasing means. Don't stop praying. There should never be a time in which we're out of touch with God. We should keep in touch. We should stay connected. How many folks here possess at least one electronic device like a cell phone? Raise your hands. Come on. And some, many more. So, folks, I want you to look at your hand and realize that you're among the cursed. Because those things, those phones, are no good unless you... I can't get a signal. I can't get a signal, right? They're no good. you got to get a signal. you got to stay connected. One of these days, I don't want to go over any horror scenarios and conspiracy theories, but if they wanted to really bring us to our knees, all they got to do is shut off all the power. That's all they got to do. Just hit the grid. Boom. Lights go down. And if you haven't got stuff stored at home and you can stay warm or cold or whatever it is, you got problems because we are connected in this present society. Many people uh, are totally dependent upon this. Have, you want to see frustration? It's some kid that's on those things practically 24-7 every waking hour of the day. And they're doing whatever it is that they're doing on it. And all of a sudden they can't get their power and they're, they're walking all over the place. You know, like somebody pulled their life support system. Because that's what it's like. For people who do business all the time and allow business to control their schedule, their livelihood, everything, that's, stay connected is all about their being successful. And when it comes to our spiritual connectedness, it's prayer or prayerlessness. Which is it? Do you have a prayer life that's effective, that stays connected, or are you somewhat inconsistent? Are you somewhat prayerless? You know the circumstance back in 1 Samuel when his sons who weren't living for God were rejected as the next prophets, as the next judges over Israel. And so they said to Samuel, give us a king like the other nations. They lived to regret that. It's kind of like Samuel could have taken out an ad after a short while with Saul as king and could have had his picture and under it something like, do you miss me yet? You know, because uh, that's... Uh, and by the way, folks, this thing is going to come back politically, believe me. But right now, what I'm saying has to do with Samuel in his time. And Samuel, in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 23... Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. They rejected him and treated him badly, and yet he said, I got to an answer to God Almighty. My office is that of, of judge. I'm the one that's responsible. I'm the prophet. I'm the one. Uh, and moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Now, how much more should we in this age of grace, when we have got all of us the opportunity 
of, of touching the hem of the garment, of reaching out and being in contact with the Lord, of getting answers to our prayers. We've all seen God answer our prayers in the prayer chain. We've seen God work miracles in our time, in this age of grace, and yet we take prayer for granted, and there are times when we don't even feel like praying. We don't even want to pray. What a shame. Shame on us. What is the solution? The solution is to confess our prayerlessness as sin. Now, a lot of times people will confess, you know, other sins that are more graphic, but prayerlessness may be what keeps some people out of heaven. Prayerless, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people you should be praying for to get saved. I'm talking about folks coming to God. I'm talking about your relatives, the people that you care about, your in-laws, your co-workers. If we don't pray for them, how are they going to be moved on by the Holy Spirit to conviction to get saved? We need to pray for them and not be disconnected. Let's confess and start praying. Keep a journal. Write down the ones you're praying for. Stay connected. Stay connected. Stay connected. And your life will become more fruitful. So how, how does our love for God become divided? How is it that we're not undivided in our love? Well, first of all, disconnected is what many of us are. Number two, distanced. Distanced. When I was in high school, I was able to excel in track and field. I was a long jumper. Little guy. They would, to, to increase my height and thus my distance that I would long jump, you run 180 feet, you hit that board in just the right place, you go up in the air, you do a bicycle in the air, you throw your feet forward and throw your body forward, and you try not to touch back behind you because they're going to measure whatever sand is disturbed. And uh, in high school, to train for that, they would take the... Uh, the pole vault apparatus and they would put a pole across the apparatus at about 12 feet and they would hang a, a, a piece of fabric down about two feet and our goal was to run and try to hit that with our head now understand that's about nine ten feet in the air and yes I did I did brush it with my head I was able to do that and I was able to set the long jump record so I did that. Now, long jumpers also are sprinters usually. And so I was a sprinter. And in those days, they ran yards before meters became popular. Meters have always been popular throughout the world and in the Olympics. But we ran yards in those days. So I ran 100 yards. I ran 220 yards. And both of those are fairly close. You back on a few more yards, and, and you've, got, you've got your meters. You've got your 100 meters and your 200 meters. Pretty close, pretty close. If you can run those well, you can run meters well also once you get the adjustment made. And so we had to train. And to run 100 yards effectively, you see, you just have to have a burst of speed. No, you don't. You've got to have a great start. You've got to stay low. They would run a cord across the, uh, the place where we were training so that we would stay under the cord. We would be driving and running. And then you stand up, but not straight up. You're running at a slight pitch. And then when you come to the end, you're running with all you have. And as you hit the tape, you bob into the tape or into the, the cord that they have strung across the, the, uh, the track there to finish first, if you possibly can. We would train for 100 by running 220. We would train for 220 by running 330. 
and so forth, on up. So we would try, and over and over. We'd walk around the track and then run another one. Walk around the track and run another one. Walk around the track and run another one. During the off season, they would attach uh, ropes to the back of us in a harness, and we would start out and we'd be running. That thing would be attached to a cement wall. They had us during the winter times. The winters in the Midwest were brutal. They would have us go up into the gymnasium, get up on the trampoline. My coach would come to me and say, you running the 220 this year, Winnegar? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he'd say, what time do you want to run? And I told him the time I wanted to run. Now, I would like to have run it in about 10 seconds after I found out what he was going to do. He says, all right, I got the stopwatch. I want you to run in place on that trampoline, and I want you to run as hard as you can. It's like that. Run as hard as you can for that period of time. Get off your feet and your legs. Everything feels like it's jello. And you're walking around like this, and they get you back up there again. He'd then say, all right, between times, I want you to run up and down the stadium steps, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And they put us through all of that to train. For what? For 100 yards. That took me 10.6 seconds to run in competition. But we practiced for hours. Hours. The 220, a little longer. We practiced for hours on that. Working out. Working out. Working out. During my high school career, I shattered my wrist playing football. And they said, you'll never play football again. Because you got pieces floating in there. They didn't have high-end sports medicine those days. If you broke something, you put a band-aid on it, went back out and finished the game. I mean, that's the way it was in those days. If you're not profusely bleeding, you finish the game. That's just the way it was. And they looked at me and they said, you won't play football. I said, but that's what they have in the fall. They said, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to play football again. And I said, all right, what are my choices? And they said, we have a thing called cross-country. I said, what's that? I had no idea. Eventually, I went out for cross-country, and the training was a little different. Instead of running hundreds and 220s and 330s and so forth, and going up and down steps and so forth, they sent us out on the street, and they had us run. Run for an hour. Just run. Don't stop along the way. Just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. And at our farthest point, we would be miles away from the school, out in the neighborhoods running. They would send us out to a point and send us back. And they, I'm sure they had eyes everywhere watching us so there wouldn't be any goofing off. Don't stop. Keep going. Just run and run and run. And we would run five miles, ten miles and not stop, just keep running and running and running. And further and further away we got from school, the stranger it seemed. The more we were alone, the stranger it seemed. Now there is something, I know Mike Viviano, who's watching me right now, God bless you, Mike, who was a long distance runner, he'll say there's something really cool about being the guy out there running and you hear your own footsteps, you know, and you hear your own breath and so forth and so on, but there is a sense of aloneness, of 
being a distance away. And in the Bible, in Revelation chapter number 2, when Jesus Christ is addressing those local churches in chapters 2 and 3, He says everything that He possibly can say to commend the church at Ephesus, but then in verse number 4, He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You put distance between yourself and me. Speaking to the church, speaking to the Christians, and speaking to us today, the way that we have a divided love for God is that sometimes we are prayerless and disconnected, and sometimes we are cold and distant. We put distance between us, and the secret is exactly what God said through John as He wrote those letters from Jesus to the churches, and He said, repent, repent, turn around. Go back to where you were. Go back. Somebody who is viewing this message right now needs to turn around and go back to Jesus. You've left your first love. You haven't lost it. You've left it. And as leaving it, you need to get back to it. You need to turn around, go the other way. How can love for God be divided by disconnection, by distancing, and by demonic suggestion, by demonic preoccupation by believers, by born-again believers. Why? Because demons are active in the world, and they want you to take the model of the world. They want you to take the ideas and the concepts of the world system and make them your own as if they are you know, of your own origination. They want you to accept those. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil working together detract and distract and conspire against the soul. And that downgrades what your love for the Lord is. It, it, it dilutes your love. For example, in the case of John chapter 21, where the Apostle Peter has failed in his test by the fire, denying he even knew the Lord, cursing. And then he says, I go fishing. And he influenced seven apostles and they went fishing. And Jesus tells them to lower their net as he did at the beginning of his ministry on the other side of the boat. And they caught all these fish. And Peter realized it was Jesus and he came and went to shore. And Jesus had breakfast waiting for them. And then there was the private conversation in verse 15 of John 21. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, that's his name in the flesh, lovest thou me more than these? More than anything else. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. What Peter said was, I have this great affection for you, Lord. Something had happened. What had happened? His love for the Lord had been diluted. He had to get it right. He had to get his fellowship restored. And what did Jesus tell him? Three times he asked him because three times he denied the Lord. But three times he asked him and three times Peter answers. And the Lord Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Get back in the game. Some of you have walked off the court. You've walked off the field when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the demonic suggestion that has been whispered in your ear has been, has been bought hook, line, and sinker. And you're now living by worldly philosophies and ideas and because of that you have a divided love your love for the Lord 
is not undivided. Number two, number two, we need to have love for one another that is unconditional. Unconditional. Love that doesn't put conditions on the receiving party. Now how can, how can we put conditions? How do we put conditions instead of loving unconditionally? Number, number one, we focus at, at the wrong thing. We focus on their imperfections. We focus on what they did wrong. We focus on their wrongdoing. And we set the bar of expectations right up here where normal, everyday human beings will never consistently achieve. And so because of imperfection, we, we are not there. Instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only way that they're going to be and do what they ought to be and do. That's the solution. I don't have time to develop this. Jesus Christ is the only perfect one. If we've got Him in our life, then I can do better. But if I don't have Him in my life, if I'm just getting bowled out for not being perfect, I'm never going to be any more perfect than I am right now. I need the Lord Jesus in my life. Number two, I need to not look at somebody's inconsistency. You say they're hot and they're cold, they're up and they're down, and so forth. But nobody's 100% faithful, only Jesus Christ is. He's the only one that will never let you down. So we set that bar, we look at that bar, and we see them falling short, and we say, yeah, you're never going to measure up, you're never going to measure up. That's not the way to love unconditionally. We love them because of Jesus Christ and in spite of themselves. We love them not staring at their imperfection or at their inconsistency. Let me say this, we make a great mistake in looking at their inconsideration. Because after we've forgiven them, we think they ought to come to us and just, they ought to just be so thankful that somebody would be so loving to them in spite of that. That lasts for how many seconds? It doesn't last forever, folks, because we're all flesh and blood. And people will forget how considerate and loving you were in forgiving them and loving them in spite of pretty quickly, pretty quickly. What's the use? Then why should I love anybody unconditionally? Because that's the only way we ought to love people. We shouldn't love God in a divided way. We should give Him 100%. And we should love one another in spite of ourselves in an unconditional manner. God set His love upon us, not because of, but in spite of. We should set that same love upon others in that same way. Say, so, oh, if, if we're not careful, we're going to get burned again. Got a lot of burn scars. And that's going to happen. You don't go into this relationship business expecting everything to be perfect and the ride not to be a bumpy ride. If you're involved with people, imagine yourself at your worst time of times a thousand, that's what you're going to have is a bumpy ride. Don't let people destroy your family and everything that's good and godly and sacred. But we need to love people unconditionally. We need to love them the way God loves us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now I'm going to ask you, if God's speaking to your heart about anything in this message, would you slip your hand up? God's speaking to my heart. God's speaking to my heart. Yes, amen. I'm going to encourage you when the invitation is given to step out 
and come on down and have a word of prayer. And pray for yourself and pray for others and let's get things right with God. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive Him into my heart as my personal Savior. Now, if you've done that, I want you to come and let me know that you've been saved. If you desire baptism or membership, Amen. Amen.